We have um, a number of things coming up I want to make you aware of. First of all, uh, Connect is this Thursday night, 7 o'clock in the Annex. We'll be hearing from Steve Lindenmeyer, who uh, is on staff with Campus Outreach. He served in Thailand for 12 years, and uh, he spoke to us last week. Um, and it was, it was great, and he'll be speaking again. So come join us Thursday. If you're looking for an opportunity to uh, um, be in worship together, sit under the teaching of the Word together, and just to know each other better, it's a great environment for that. So that is this uh, coming Thursday. This weekend, this coming weekend, is the Global Impact Conference. Um, it's, the, I would say, the biggest thing that we do as a church. My sister and brother-in-law are missionaries, and they're supported by East Cooper, and... Um, they're supported also by several other uh, churches at, at, at lesser levels. And uh, so when they go around and visit churches, they've, they've told us from experience as missionaries that nobody does a missions conference like East Cooper. And it's not just a, a show, but it's, a, it's an opportunity where they have spoken and said um, it's a place of refreshment for them as missionaries, but also a place to really see a bigger picture of what God is doing around the world. The speaker is... Uh, the vice president at the IMB over uh, global strategy, and most of his career has been uh, held in the Muslim world, as I understand it. Um, so he will be speaking to some of those issues, which are very much current affair issues. Um, and so looking forward to hearing from him. But there's also 13, 14, 15 missionary families that will be here. Um, and it's a great, it's, it's the opportunity to interact with them. Um, to actually not, not just sit and listen, but to actually talk to them, hear about what's going on. Um, Mike and Wendy Young from the Czech Republic are going to be here. They're the family that we uh, partnered with last summer uh, to do the Young Adult Mission Strip in the Czech Republic. We'll be, we'll be doing that again this summer. They'll be speaking in this class next week. So I'm looking forward to them being here. They haven't been to East Cooper before. Um, our project with them was kind of their first uh, partnership with East Cooper, even though they had um, heard of us. Um, and so just excited about all of that. Uh, most of it you have to register for, and it's, it's dirt cheap, um, and, and most of what you're paying for is, is a meal. I think it's five bucks at most. There's a big dinner Friday night, um, and we just, you just have to let us know that you're coming, and it's, again, it's five bucks. Um, Saturday morning, there's, um, it's, it's, they, they call it a brunch. I think it starts at 9.30, where we're able to eat together in the gym, but then we break out in, in every room around the church. Uh, a missionary is speaking and sharing their personal story. And there's kind of like four slots, and you just get to roam around and pick the ones that, uh, that are of interest to you or different regions that might pique your interest. Um, just a great opportunity. It's done at lunchtime, um, and then they'll all be here Sunday morning speaking in the different classes, and then we have a big celebration service Sunday night, which is just, uh, it's, sometimes it, it, it's, it's too easy to say it's a sweet time of worship, but it is a true sweet time of worship and some of the missionaries will make comments of like we don't get this where we live maybe we can't sing audibly out loud um, or secret police will hear them whatever it might be or they're just as only them and their and their, their wife and kids you know and so they have a little house tree they don't have that you know we have it every week and we have two venues and then we have an orchestra and band, you know all this stuff and so it's a, sweet, it's a sweet time um, of rejoicing in what God's doing in the nation. So I don't want to just throw that out there as like, hey, this happens to be going on, but I would really encourage you to be a part of this. Um, Lauren and I are going to be a part of the whole thing. Um, sit with us, join us at the tables, and um, it'll be a good time. you got more questions, ask. It's not too late uh, to sign up for the Czech Republic trip. Um, I'm just now taking um, deposits for that trip um, over the next four to six weeks. I'm going to need some commitments. If you missed the informational lunch last Sunday, you, you, you didn't miss your opportunity. All right, There's flyers on this little fat table back here. You can grab those. It's got the basic details. But if you're thinking about it, even uh, on the surface, uh, please just let me know, and I can, I, I can help you out. I can give you more details, whatever that is. We're looking to take about 12 from this class. So that is going to be uh, early July. Also, um, ladies, if anybody is interested, Lauren and I are looking for um, somebody to help us out with some babysitting this evening with our community group. Uh, Jenny, formerly Smith, currently Jenny Brown, um, is not available tonight. 
uh, <laughs> due to her wedding <laughs> last night. And uh, so if you're, if, if, you're, if you're free and just in, and interested, we've, there are several kids in our community group, and I'm just going to throw that up there because I'm the pastor. <laughs> um, if you're interested in helping us out, um, we have a need there. There's also an opportunity uh, during the missions conference when we're getting together with several of the missionaries where we would need some help. If you're interested, please talk to Lauren and I um, with an opportunity there. Um, we have the spring retreat coming up, March 20, 21, and 22. It's an opportunity for us as a young adult ministry to get away and uh, spend some very focused and intentional time on the practical side of our, of our faith. Um, it's going to be at Seabrook, uh, Seabrook Island, which is 45 minutes from here. We're starting after work on Friday. It's going to go all day Saturday, and then after we'll get it done after lunch on Sunday. But it's an opportunity for us not just to be together and have a good time, which we will, and we'll have worship and all those things together. Um, but we're going to dig deeper into what it means to have personal inductive Bible study. What are some good ways to grow in your ability to share your faith in the workplace? Um, we're trying to make it really practical. Um, and have some really good, solid content for you to take out of that. Not just teaching, but actual, let's take some notes, let's learn how to do this, let's get some people in here to help us out with that. So if you're interested in growing in some of those areas in your own faith and walk, great opportunity. It's 50 bucks, we've cut the cost, we're supplementing the cost. If the 50 bucks is a problem, let me know. All right, we, wanna, we, we don't want money to be a problem for you to go on this trip if you're interested. So it's close, it's 45 minutes from here, and it's a beautiful place. So, lots of stuff going on. Get the flyers in the back. Talk to Lauren and I if you want more information. And we keep our Facebook page updated. All right. That's the, those are the announcements. Let me pray for us, and we will continue in our Hebrew study. Father, thank you for the morning. Uh, thank you for the gathering together of believers. And I thank you for this young adult group and just the fun and the joy that it is. And, Father, all that we are able to do, not only in this class, but with activities and retreats and community groups. Father, I thank you for being present here, and I ask that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We are in Hebrews 8. So if you would, go ahead and flip there. Hebrews chapter 8. We've been in Hebrews for a while now. If, you, if this is the first time you've joined us, uh, hopefully you'll be able to pick, pick right up where we left off. All right? So the, the brief summary of the book of Hebrews is that Hebrews was written to believers, to Christ followers. All right? They were written, uh, the book of Hebrews was written just a couple decades after the death of Christ. This is in the first century. It's kind of the first or second generation of Christians. And uh, they were Christ followers and they were pursuing uh, Christ wholeheartedly, um, but they, they hit a point in their lives where they started to slow down, and they started to kind of lose steam, and really putts out in a way. And so the author of Hebrews is writing to them to both encourage them in the faith that they already know, but then to remind them of these great truths of the gospel, but also, and maybe more importantly, uh, to warn them that if you, if you slip and you continue to slip, that danger abounds. And so all throughout the book of Hebrews, it kind of goes back and forth between this is a great gospel that we have. This is a great Savior, and it really lauds Jesus Christ and all that he has done and all that it means, and he really unpacks it. Most of them were, um, were Jews, so they knew the old law. They knew the old sacrificial system. They had been to the temple, and they knew all the Old Testament stuff. And some of them wanted to kind of just fall back into that because they knew it, and it was easier, and it was religious, and it was just easier to kind of go back into some of the old traditions and the old ways and the old sacrifices. And the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, you can't do that. We have something better. We have something better. And there are several commentators who have said that if you're going to summarize the book of Hebrews in one word, that it would be the word better. Because it keeps going over and saying Jesus is better. The new covenant is better. He's a better high priest. Better, 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 better all throughout. So that's kind of the summary of the book of Hebrews. Um, as we are in chapter 8, what I would like for us to do 
is instead of read straight through all of this content, because we're going we're gonna to span a couple chapters here, what I want us to do is kind of take a visual scan so that we can see the overall trajectory of where I want us to go this morning. Um, so uh, I'm going to point out some specific verses, and starting with chapter 8, verse 1. All right, so if you've got the word in front of you, whether you're clicking there or turning there, look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. It says this, Now the point in what we are saying is this, We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, I, I said this last week, but this is a great, a great statement. Because sometimes the Bible just paints things incredibly clear. Other times you've got to dig a little bit deeper. But when it says, now the point of what we are saying is this, then that's a great thing to, to acknowledge. Like, this is the point, okay? You, you don't have to dig so deep. The point that we are saying is this. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, drawing attention to the fact that we now have a new high priest. Again, the original audience, they knew the whole sacrificial system. They knew the priests. They knew the high priest. They knew the temple. They knew the Holy of Holies. But he is saying, we have a new high priest, and that is the point here. All right, now this is the point. We have a high priest, and he is sitting at the right hand of God, a place of authority in the very presence of God himself. Bump down to verse 6, chapter 8, verse 6. Um, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant that he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. You see this better theme? Better, better, better. Again, in verse 6, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent, which is better, than the old, as the covenant he mediates is, what? Better, since it is enacted on better promises. So he's a better high priest. There's a better covenant because there are better promises. So that's the foundation that we are building on. <clears throat> As we continue to look through chapter 8, you can see that there's a, it's a quotation there. All right. So since the author of Hebrews is speaking to uh, people who were formerly of, the, of um, their Jewish nationally, but also religiously, they knew the Old Testament. So all throughout the book of Hebrews, the author is, is throwing in Old Testament text all the time because they know it. You know, and the Old Testament has direct application to the New Covenant with Jesus Christ all throughout. And so he actually quotes here in uh, chapter 8, verses 8 through 12, a portion from the prophet Jeremiah that speaks of the New Covenant. And the author actually gives commentary. All right, So this is inspired commentary. Now, if you go to a Christian bookstore and you can buy a commentary on the book of Hebrews, that's good, and might be a godly guy who wrote it. But this is the author of a book of the Bible who's giving commentary of another book of the Bible. You know? So it's an inspired guy giving commentary on an inspired guy. You know? So it's, it's kind of cool on how it all builds itself, but this is speaking directly uh, right into the, uh, speaking right into the language of the original audience there because they knew the Old Testament, they knew the prophecies and all that kind of stuff. Um, flip forward to uh, chapter 9. Verse 1, right? Flip the page, whatever it happens to be. This commentary that we look at spans actually from chapter 8, verse 1, all the way through 10, 18. So it covers a couple chapters now. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1 says this. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. Now what that's referring to that we're going to look at here is the old uh, tabernacle or the or the temple, which was the place where God dwell, dwelt, but also the place where you would take your sacrifices. It's where the, it's where the priests would go. It's, it's, it's where you had communion with God. All right? So there's a place of earthly holiness. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. Jump back to chapter 8. Again, we're kind of doing a scan here, so thanks for jumping around with me. Chapter 8, verse 2 says, speaking of Jesus, that he is a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. All right, so as we're going through and that he's a new high priest and a better high priest, what we're going to look at here in the text is that there's actually a new, better tent as well. All right, so 
throughout the course of this book, or the, these couple chapters that are commentary on Jeremiah 31, we see that it speaks of a better, more true tent. Jump forward to chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, please. It also says that for if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of the heifer sanctifies for the purification of sin, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself up without blemish to God, also purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now the Old Testament sacrificial system, and you might know all of this stuff, but if you don't, it required the shedding of blood, sacrifices. You know, they would take bulls and goats and birds and all that stuff, and they would, off, they would kill them, literally, and then they would shed their blood uh, as a representation of the washing and the purification of somebody's very uh, soul for the forgiveness of sins. And what we see here in this commentary um, is that Jesus has brought something bigger and better. In, verse, in chapter 8, verse 14, it says, How much more will the blood of Christ do this? So we see in the better theme here that there's a better tent that Jesus establishes. But there's also a better blood, which is the blood of Christ. It's better than the other sacrifices. It's better than the animals. And it secures, as it says um, at the end of verse 12 in chapter 9, an eternal redemption, which is why, what makes it better. And we're going to talk about that another week. As we continue scanning through the next uh, bits of verses, look at uh, chapter 10, verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1. It says, For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make, make perfect those who draw near. So it's saying even by the old law, because the new law is better, that's the theme, even as you offer sacrifices over and over and over, it says they can never make perfect those who draw near. Jump down to verse 14 in chapter 10. It says, Yet for by a single offering he, meaning Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So that the, the gift... And the sacrifice of Jesus and the shedding of his blood has offered something that will happen that can offer forgiveness eternally. And we see that in verse 18. So jump down a couple more verses. Hebrews 10, verse 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin that is needed. So we see that there is a better tent that is referenced here, that there is a better blood. And then there's a concept that I'm just calling that it is better forever. Okay, so the, the, the theme of the book is better, and the theme of the commentary on Jeremiah is just better, 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 better. And it's cool how it all builds on itself. So what I want to do for the next couple weeks is we're going to kind of have a sub-series in, in Hebrews. Okay, so we're, we're going through the book of Hebrews, but for the next three weeks, we're going to camp out in this kind of big body of, of text here, and we're going to look at how... Um, the author of Hebrews is telling us that there is a better tent, which we're going to talk about this week. Next week will actually be a missionary speaker, so the week after that, a better blood, and that it is better forever. So that's kind of the trajectory that we're looking at over the next three, four weeks with Missions Conference. Um, so with that as an overview and that as an outline, jump back to the beginning of Hebrews chapter 8. Thank you for jumping around with me. All right, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Um, I'm going to read 1 through 5. It says, Now the point in what we are saying is this, that we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he, meaning Jesus, now if he were on this earth, he would not be a priest at all, 
since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. We talked about that last week, and they're the Levites, and Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. But he is uh, from a better, uh, a better order in Melchizedek, which we talked about last week. Verse 5. They, meaning the Levites, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. This verse in the NIV says that they serve in a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of, it, of the heavenly things. So the whole idea of, of the tabernacle with the children of Israel as being the place where God dwells and the place you take your sacrifices, or later in the Old Testament, the, the, the temple, which is the same thing as, as the tabernacle, that they serve a copy, and that the tent and the tabernacle are copies of the original. It's like a photocopy. Verse 5, For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, quote, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant, covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no reason for us to look for a second. And then it goes into this quote from the Old Testament. This text is telling us that Jesus is currently, presently, present text here, um, ministering in a more true tent that is not a copy, which is what the temple and the tabernacle were. And that tent is heaven, what we would call heaven. And that he is physically seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And that he is in heaven doing a job. A lot of times when we think of heaven... Uh, we, we think of it in the context of our, if you're a Christ follower, our future, our future dwelling place, the place where we're going to go hang, the place where we're going to kind of have joy forever, the place where there will be no sorrow, no tears, no sickness, no death. But Jesus is there uh, doing work. He is doing the work of, of a true, better high priest. And that he is the mediator between Christ followers on this earth and God himself, all right, which is what the former priests used to be assigned to do, even though they were men and that they had to offer sacrifices for their own sins, but that Jesus isn't just there kind of waiting for us to show up, but that for, for, all, for all, all Christians that are, are praying to God, Jesus is hearing that and mediating between God the Father and you. Like he, he's doing a job up there. And his job is, 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 is a real job. He's not just sitting there floating, but he is the go-between between, between uh, Christians on earth and God himself. So with this whole talk of, of a tent, what I want us to do for a second is just pause because we weren't raised in Judaism, likely. Maybe some of you were. Um, but since we weren't, and since that was thousands of years ago, the, the idea of the tabernacle and the idea of the tent are often things that we, we maybe have heard about in some lessons, or maybe you took a class, or maybe you've just passed through some text in Scripture and read about some of the things that they were, uh, that, 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 that the tent and the tabernacle and the temple were about. What I want to do is take a few minutes and talk about kind of what it was, what it looked like, and what the purpose was behind the Old Testament tabernacle. So... The book of Hebrews kind of does it for us, all right? So, chapter 9, verse 1. Chapter 9, verse 1. Is there a little subtitle there? What does it say? The sanctuary? The earthly sanctuary. Okay, so it kind of tells you what this next chunk of verses is about. And it's talking about the earthly, earthly temple or the earthly tent. So let me read verses 1 uh, through 9 to us. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which there was a lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Maybe you've grown up hearing it called the holy of holies. Verse 4, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant, covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn, holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, right, the Ten Commandments. 
Verse 5. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the, section, the, but into the second, only the high priest would go. And he, but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offered for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. Um, When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he led them to a mountain. God led them to a mountain called Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, God gave Moses the law. All right? And the law was the Ten Commandments, uh, but it was also a, a lot of laws that Moses recorded on scrolls about offerings, what type of offerings for what type of sins and how to purify yourself and your family. Um, different ways to uh, wash yourself before God, to present yourself before him clean. And also, as a significant part of the law, God showed and taught his people um, how to meet with him. And it happened through the priests. There are very specific laws. He said, I want a relationship with you as a people, and I, as God, will tell you how to do it. Um, and that was part of the law. And what we see here is how that, what that looked like in the Old Testament to the children of Israel. Now, I'm going to draw a little sketch of what we have here. All right, so we have this tent that had a courtyard around the outside of it. And then there was a tent in the middle. And there was an altar where you would burn the sacrifices. There was uh, a, a spot where you could wash yourself. Um, and then this was the tent right here, and it was split in two, two pieces. All right, you had the, the holy place, and you had the most holy place. It said that there's a golden table there with the bread of presence. There's a lamp stand here, um, and then there's an incense offering here, it says, and then uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, on the Ark of the Covenant, it says, has the golden cherubim. Maybe you've seen Indiana Jones um, with the, the, the lost Ark. Does it hunt? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, that's not um, a chapter in the Bible. Um, but they, they did model it after what we think the Ark of the Covenant looked like. And it had two angels on top with their wings together. And it says that for whatever reason, God decided that he specifically was going to say, I, as God, will dwell here. And this was supposed to be taken very seriously. You know, when Moses um, met God before the burning bush, God decided to make his presence known in that one specific spot. And God told him, take your shoes off because this is a different scenario here. You know, maybe you're over here by all these different bushes, but I am choosing to, to manifest myself specifically here. And I'm telling you what you need to do about that. And in this case, you take your shoes off. In this case, nobody enters here except one, and that is the high priest. The other priests can come in here. All right? Other people didn't even enter this area. But once a year, once you've been properly washed, once you've properly had um, all the offerings taken place, you can come in here and make atonement for all of the people because this is specifically where God has said at that point in history, I will dwell. And what God did not do is he did not say, you know what, this is kind of like a dating relationship where you need to figure out your love languages and my languages and just kind of learn how we relate, you know, and just figure out kind of what works for you and kind of learn my character a little bit and figure out how I, you know, no. He said, hey, we're writing this down, all right? I am God, you are not. I am perfect, you are not. I am holy. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. I will go before you. I set the ten plagues. I freed you from 400 years of slavery. I split the Red Sea. I'm a big deal, all right? And so you're not, you're not going to step in my prayer. I mean, not even Moses saw the face of God, all right? Even though he was handed the law, all right, to give to the people. He says, this is a big deal. 
And if you don't follow my instructions, there will be consequences. There will be judgment. But if you follow them, there will be great blessing. Exodus 23 says, if you follow my ways, I will give you the promised land. All of this, all that you can see will be yours if you do what I say. Now, that is why the temple was, the, 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 the temple later and, and currently the tent, as we're talking about here, was a big deal. It wasn't just a, hey, we need a place to worship, so let's just designate it. This is God, his instructions, part of his law, said this is how you will approach me. All right? This is what obedience looks like. You don't, have to, you don't have to play with this and figure it out, but this is what obedience looks like. This is what our relationship is going to look like. You know? Now, we live in a day and an age where we, we feel a lot more freedom in relationships. You know, you can build a church over here if you want. You can build a church over here if you want. Hey, if this building um, doesn't serve our needs, if we outgrow it, you know what? We can, we can, we can sell this building to a school and, and, and build a new building over here. You know, and, and, and now, today, we talk about how God's presence is with us as a group of believers. But God decided to show himself and manifest himself differently in Old Testament times. And sometimes we look back on that and say, well, that just seems stringent and impersonal. And like, kind of like, well, if I've got to go through somebody else... You know, I can't even go in the Holy of Holies, and I've got to talk to somebody else who's going to represent me. I don't even know this Levite. You know, I don't, I don't even live in the area. Um, and I, I want to give an example, and I hope that it's not a bad example. But when you look at the old law and the old regulations uh, that were given down from, uh, from God to Moses to the children of Israel, I kind of look at it as uh, a mortgage agreement with love. Okay, and let me explain that. Um, when I was in high school, I really wanted a car. Um, and my dad said, I think as maybe good dads do, hmm, this is a good opportunity to learn some responsibility. How many of you had a conversation like that with, with your mom or dad? This is a good opportunity for you to learn some responsibility. I didn't have money for a car, all right? So my dad said, this is a while ago, okay? Um, um, you got a three thousand dollar budget, okay? Now, you know my parents never bought me these big nice cars, you know. But you have a three thousand dollar budget, and uh, we're going to make an agreement, all right? On paper, it was typed, all right, um, that I will make uh, monthly payments to my dad for a specific amount, and the car will be paid off in a specific amount of time, and on the due date. Of my, of my monthly check, it had to be on the kitchen table by midnight. Um, every day late was a, was a $5 penalty, all right? Um, if I didn't make car payments for a certain number of months, my dad had the right to uh, take my car and sell it, and that I would recover no money that I had put into the car. Now, um, my dad, my dad loves me, you know, this is, this was, well, wasn't one of those, I want to take advantage of you, you know, this isn't one of those, I want to, um, be mean and not give you a car right away, but I abided by the rules. There was a couple times I had to add a couple $5 payments, but I abided by the rules and you know what? Our relationship was great. And you know what? I got, I found for for $2,000, a red convertible sports car was an old uh, Italian Fiat, you know, <laughs> with 80,000 miles, you know, for two grand. So, like, I was more of a sports car guy than a truck guy, and so, like, I had a cool car. Like, I benefited from this agreement, you know what I mean? But not only that, but I learned principles that, man, I took with me. I learned things like, I don't want car payments later. And, you know, we don't have car payments now. You know, and we can do more. I learned how to manage my money, and so it's. I'm, I'm 36 now, and I was 17 then, and I'm benefiting from this good covenant that I had with my dad. It was good. It was good then. It was good now, because I I obeyed. You, you see what I'm saying? Now, if I hadn't have obeyed, it would have been perfectly right because it was written in the covenant for my dad to cast 
judgment on me and do what the covenant said and remove from me the blessing of the fiat, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, it, but also the, the covenant said that, that, that his judgment was up to his discretion, that it wasn't like, you know, the one day that I was three months behind, he could instantly sell it. He said, it is my right that I can, I can, I can judge you and, and take it away. And so what we see throughout the Old Testament is sometimes people are living in, in straight-up disobedience, and God is withholding his judgment, but eventually that judgment always comes. And what we see throughout the course of the Old Testament in the giving of laws is that when people obey what is written, you know, it's not a let's feel this thing out, but obey what is written that God says there is blessing. And we see that all through the Old Testament. Hey, I am your God, and you are my people. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And if you follow me, you will defeat all of your enemies. You will march into the promised land. Uh, a land flowing with milk and honey. You, you'll be successful. You'll take over uh, cities that are already built and, cr- and crops that are already grown if you follow my ways. And part of that law is that you do things my way and how you approach me, and this is how I'm doing it. Okay? So the tent was a big deal. The tent was where God dwelt. And that is where people, through the Levites, would meet with God. Now, some people might say, so I always thought that God was omnipresent. You know, the omnis, you know, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. You know, how how does that idea gel (laughs) with the fact that God seems to be saying here that he is only here? Um... There's a, uh, a great book and resource that I would encourage any one of you to get if you haven't already gotten it. It's a big, thick book. Don't be intimidated by it. It's just called Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. All right? And it's easy to flip through and say there are some things that I just want to know a little bit more about. How does this work? How does it play itself out theologically in the Bible? Flip through and look up Systematic Theology. This is what Wayne Grudem says about this question about what about God being everywhere, yet in the Old Testament he seems to only be in, the, in between the cherubim on top of the Ark of the Covenant. This is Wayne Grudem. He says, in fact, most of the time the Bible talks about God's presence, it is referring to God's presence to bless. For example, it is this way, uh, it is in this way that we should understand God's presence above the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. We read of, quote, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts who is enthroned on the cherubim. A reference to the fact that God made his presence known and acted in a specific way to bring blessing and protection to his people at the location that he had designated as his throne, namely the place above the two golden figures of heavenly beings, or the cherubim, that were over on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. It is not that God was not present elsewhere, but rather there he specifically made his presence known and here, he specifically manifested his character and brought blessing to his people. Interesting, isn't it? That God chose that very specifically. It's also interesting um, to see where there are consequences. Uh, flip back to the Old Testament. First Samuel, chapter 5. God said, this is where I will be. Here's the law on how you can make a right relationship with me. There was a priest by the name of Eli. Uh, We're not going to look at it just yet, but I'll I'll give you the brief version. Uh, Chapter 4. And he has two sons, and they are evil. And they're also priests. Um... Hophni and Phineas were their names. Um, they were sleeping with women um, who were wanting to come and, and worship. I mean, just sick, depraved stuff that shouldn't happen anyway, much less in the name of Levites who were representing the people before God. Okay? They were judged as people, as individuals, they were judged as Levites, and Levites who represented the children of Israel to God himself, the nation of Israel was also judged. The Philistines, the bad guys, they came in, they attacked, 
Israelites were defeated. Eli and Hophni were killed as part of the judgment. And the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God dwells, was captured and taken out of the presence of the Israelites and taken to the temple of the Philistines. 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. This is where the story picks up. It says, When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon, which is their false idol image. Verse 3. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> He's stone. <clears throat> so they took Dagon and put him back on his pl- in his place. And when they arose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon, and both of his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who entered the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold in Ashdod to this day. So the presence of God, though we could say that, of course, he was always technically present in the temple of Dagon. In the Old Testament, God said, I will... Uh, specifically be present here and when the Ark of the Covenant was taken there that idol dropped to his face and if you keep reading it says that the Philistines eventually got uh, tumors growing all over their body because they were not the children of God, they were living uh, sinfully, not according to the law and the Philistines were like get this God out of here and they actually put it on a cart with some cows and like smacked the cows so it would like run away and go back to the nation of Israel okay so God, even, even here in his judgment, is showing that, listen, I'm not to be toyed with. This is a big deal. There are consequences. Death can be a consequence that plays itself out. So the old law, the old covenant, had the old tent for very specific and intentional reasons that God used for good. So, understanding that, let's make the transition and go back to talking about the new tent, the new covenant that Jesus Christ has brought. So let's go back to Hebrews at the beginning of chapter 8. Again, thank you for jumping around. Hebrews chapter 8. Back to verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So what we have here is we have a better high priest, Jesus, um, ministering in a better tent, which is heaven, uh, because of a better sacrifice, which is his blood. Ministering and mediating before God on our behalf specifically. Now, as it moves into this Old Testament quote in Jeremiah, once again, the author of Hebrews is just speaking their language to the Hebrews that he's writing to because they know this stuff. All right, so let me read this Old Testament quote that we see here, Hebrews 8, 8. It says, For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor And each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is a quote from the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet to the nation of Israel that was living apostate. All right? They were living not according to the law. And God uh, gave words to the prophet Jeremiah that basically said, You're sinning, people of Israel. Be warned. If you don't turn back to the law 
and abide by what was given to Moses on the mountain, judgment will come. And Jeremiah, this is like, I should have looked it up, but I think it's in the 600 B.C. era. This this happened right before Daniel um, and the nation of Israel was exiled because they were defeated by the Babylons. They were taken, they were taken captive uh, as slaves and removed from the promised land and taken to a foreign land to live under foreign kings. And Jeremiah said, if you don't turn, this is what Jeremiah said specifically, you will be captured by the Babylonians, by the Babylonians, uh, you will be exiled out of this land, and you will be in Babylon for 70 years. All pr- prophetic. And we did a Daniel study several months ago, and we saw that the prophet Daniel looked back on the words of Jeremiah saying, this has all come true. But then he, Daniel then looked forward and said, but it's going to come to an end. This 70 years is going to come to an end. And we see historically, extra-biblically, that it did. And the children of Israel were released from Babylon and sent back into the promised land. All right, so this prophet, Jeremiah, says in 8, 1, or excuse me, 8, chapter 8, verse 8, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant, that there is a new law that is coming. Verse 9, not like the covenant, verse 9, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, meaning there is going to be a new outline for how you relate to me. There was an old, that's what we've been talking about, and there will be a new. There is a new way to relate to me as your God that I am setting up. And this is Jeremiah in, in triple digits B.C., okay? saying that there's a new law coming. What happened in chapter 8, verse 9? He says, Not like the covenant that I made with them, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord, meaning he cast judgment on them, as was written in the covenant. Verse 10. He goes, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. In the second half of verse 10, he outlines and said, this is what the new one is going to look like. I will put my laws into their minds and will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Meaning that the old law was delivered through Moses onto tablets of stone and written on scrolls and then given to the people that said said to the children of Israel, you will now relate to me through this System and representative and sacrificial system. But the new law is not written on stone and scrolls and tablets and and communicated to you through a certain people called the Levites. Instead, I, as God, will write it on your heart and on your mind personally. I'm going to take out the middleman, if you will, because there's a better mediator in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're going to unpack this later in, 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 in other weeks. Um, that there is a new covenant, Jeremiah prophesied, and that the law will now be written on your heart and in your mind, and it is going to change the way that you relate to me as God. Not through priests, not through tabernacles, not through sacrifices, but through better, 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 better ways. And it is going to be to your benefit and to my glory. Um, If you continue through this text... um, into, into chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. We've already, we've already talked about that. That goes through what the old, test, the old tent looked like. If you continue in chapter 9, in verse 11, all right, so go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. It says this. Remember, it had just spoken about the old tent and the old tabernacle and the old ways. But, meaning in contrast to, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater... And the more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. That Jesus has brought us the new covenant. He has made obsolete the old covenant and the old ways, as it said at the end of chapter 8. He has come as a new high priest, and he is seated in a greater, more perfect tent, which is heaven. Having made the ultimate, perfect, better, superior sacrifice for us in the shedding of his own blood, 
thus securing for us, quote, an eternal redemption. When Jesus Christ died, the curtain in the temple in Israel literally ripped in half. That there was a temple in Israel that looks very similar to this, except it was a large, magnificent building. And it says that this tent, which you could not pass on penalty of death, was ripped open. It was ripped open, it says in Matthew 27, symbolizing that we that are Christ followers now have access to God, that he has made himself available and known to us in a way that is different, in a way that is better than before, that it is much more personal and it is written on your hearts and written on your minds. And not only has the curtain been ripped open, and not only has God made his presence known more and more to you and I as Christ followers, but Jesus, before his ascension, told his disciples that I am going there to prepare a place for you. That this copy, the symbolism of the presence of God here, that is now in the new covenant, a a better tent, heaven, is the place that we are called to and that we will go. And that is part of the glory of heaven. Is not that it is just a, a good, awesome place that is filled with joy, but it is the very presence of God. And that Jesus is our mediator, who is better in every single way, is not just there right now mediating on our behalf, but he is preparing that place for us to go and be and dwell forever, forever, eternally. Look at chapter 9, jump down to verse 24, please. It says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things to come, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. That Jesus is in the presence of God on our behalf. That heaven is the better tent where Jesus, who has gone before and done the work and shed his blood, defeated death by rising again and ascending back into the heaven at the right hand of God, not just to exist, not just to live, not just to wait for us to die and to show up there eternally, but to mediate for us and prepare a perfect tent for us to dwell in the presence of God. Look at chapter 10 and jump to verse 19. Therefore, brothers, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, therefore, brothers, meaning because of all these things, this is the wrap-up of the commentary of Jeremiah, therefore, because of all these things that we've been talking about, since we have confidence to enter the most holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We see the wrap-up here. We see the conclusion. It started off with the point of this is, and then we talked about all that stuff, and it says, therefore, because of those things, here's what it looks like. And there are several different um, let us statements in here. And this is the application. In, In chapter 19, it says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, all right, since we have confidence in all of these things that we've just unpacked, Better sacrifice, better high priest, better tent, better covenant, better blood, better forever. forever. Since we have this type of confidence, let us therefore do these things. It says in verse uh, 22. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Let us, it says... Draw near. <laughs> it says, let us hold fast the confession. 
meaning acknowledging these things in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says, let us consider how to stir one another up. How to stir one another up. It says, let us not neglect meeting together. And finally, it says, let us encourage one another on. Let us draw near. The curtain is ripped. You are purified by the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so if you have been purified by the blood of Jesus Christ, that your sins have been taken away because of his sacrifice, and if you were physically standing in the temple or in the tent, and that curtain was physically ripped in front of you, what do you do? You go in, right? It is opened. You've been made pure. Let us have confidence, it says. I mean, I can't imagine being a high priest with the curtain closed, and it's once a year, and you've offered all the sacrifices, and it says that if if, if, if if the proper sacrifices hadn't been made, and he had unconfessed sin in his life and in his heart, and he stepped into the Holy of Holies and the curtain, he would die. That was the judgment of being in the presence of God. But we have confidence because there's a better everything and the curtain has been ripped. And what, what, what the author is saying, as a result, don't just let that information exist in your mind and your heart, but draw near to God. The curtain is ripped open, so draw near to him. Get into the word. This is where it is. Get into prayer. Learn how to do those things better, which is why we're doing that retreat, so we could do those things better. Dig deeper in the word. Spend more time in meaningful prayer. What does that look like? It can be difficult. We're going to talk about that later. Draw near to God. Beseech God through Jesus Christ that he would speak to you and show you what it means to draw near to him. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope in verse 23. Hold fast the confession of your hope. The audience that the book of Hebrews was written to were not holding fast the confession of their hope. They were loosening their grip. They were slipping. Their run was slowing to a walk. They were less passionate. It was less meaningful to them. And as a result, sin was creeping in. Because when they were letting go of the confession of Christ, they were slipping more towards the old ways, and the old sacrificial system, which was debunk. You know, it was obsolete, it says. It was getting ready to vanish away, and that's wrong. That's sinful. And when you slip unchecked, you always slip more. You know? When you slip unchecked, you always slip more. And so it's saying, hold fast. Hold tighter. Let your knuckles get white. Holding on to the confession. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Well, you know what that is. Let us consider how we do this. How do we stir each other up to go back to these two places? How, how you need to draw near. How you need to hold fast to the confession. And my theory is, if you're not in a community group, that you're not stirring each other up. Likely. That's why I think you need to be in a community group. Maybe you're in another group of believers, but this is a good place for teaching, but this isn't a place where you're really talking and encouraging each other in this class. You need to be in a community group. That's why we've established them, so there's environments for you to push each other to the gospel, to hold on tighter. It says, let us not neglect meeting together in verse 5. That this thing that we call church is not just a good idea, but is something that will benefit you as ordained by God in the body of Christ. That it's not just a good idea uh, every other week, and it's not just a good idea three out of every four weeks, but that God established a Sabbath weekly, a day of rest, that the body is supposed to come together for the purpose of nourishment and refreshment. Now, I'm not talking about legalism here and if you're traveling away on vacation or whatever, but this is a place where we need to be weekly, and we can't neglect that because if you slip from that, you always slip further, which means if you're coming here every three out of every four weeks, then eventually you will come here every two out of four weeks. That's how it works. We see it. You see it. And then it says, let us encourage one another, in verse 25, praying for each other, speaking these truths, 
audibly, physically, literally to each other so that we can be stronger because of the better tent and the better blood, better forever, and the better covenant that we have through Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. And Father, may we, may we stir each other, encourage each other, hold fast. Father, not just because, but because that you have provided a better everything. And may we, may we realize that and remember that and be inspired by that and use that as the foundation of our lives in all we do and how we work, how we treat each other, how we treat the lost, how we treat believers, how we love the unlovely. Father, all of these things, because of the work of Christ, Father, may our run not slow to a walk. Please help us with that. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. Um, I hope that you can join us on Thursday night for Connect. Have a great Lord's Day.